Hello and welcome to She's Creative with me, Claire Hutchison. Each episode, I chat to a different woman or non-binary person who works within the creative industries, discovering how they turned creativity into a career. My guest on this episode is editor Joelle Uwusu. She is a commissioning editor at Coronet Books and was selected as one of the booksellers rising stars of 2020. Joelle previously worked as a commissioning editor at Unbound and her own writing has appeared in the likes of Nasty Women, Mind Matters Part 2 and Inspirational Idol. Welcome Joelle. Hi Claire, thank you for having me. No problem at all. Um, Just to start things off, where did you grow up and what did your parents do for a living? Okay, so I grew up in South Norwood, which is near Croydon in South London. And yeah, born and bred there for about 10 years before moving to Surrey, which is a far more affluent, very, very posh area that I just um, didn't feel like I fit into. But we moved to a place called um, Banstead, so like Bygate and Banstead, um, which is very, very different. My mum at the time was a loan fund manager and then my dad runs, um, he still does to this day actually, um, runs a remittance shop. So people who want to send money back to, um, you know, Nigeria or Ghana and uh, yeah, and so they've been doing that for a while. And so nothing really that creative (laughs) at all, but I'm not really from a creative background, but yeah, that's what my parents did. Yeah. Cool. When did you know you wanted to be involved in publishing? It was after university, and I do say this story a lot, actually, just because it's just so bizarre, but um, I did train as a geologist before I went into publishing. So I did four years at Aberdeen University, and uh, which was great. I really enjoyed it, and I've, I'd wanted to be a geologist for the longest time since I was about seven years old, but I'd always been creative, and I'd really suppressed my creativity over my whole life basically most of my teenage years just because I was just so determined to be a scientist and so after uni I just thought I can't do this anymore I can't do this I can't do this job I can't do this career I hate it uh but I'd kept a blog for 10 years and it had taken wow, me yeah. to these amazing places yeah it doesn't exist anymore it was called February Girl um and it had taken me to these amazing places and I just thought you know what I'm a writer and I'm a reader, I'm an avid, avid reader, mainly of nonfiction. So maybe publishing's for me. Um, so it was a massive, massive risk, actually. So this was 20, the summer of 20, uh, 2016. I just decided, you know what, I'm going to try and make, <laughs> I'm going to try and get a career in publishing. And at that time, I was just so naive. I didn't know really what I wanted to do within publishing. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really have that kind of editorial experience. I didn't really... Uh, have production experience or even PR and marketing but once I put things together you know I put my right all the writing and all the editing that I did for my own blog and when I put together all the PR that I did even for um, I worked a little bit um, for the ACS community in uh, Aberdeen uh, as a PR assistant and then also I did a bit of PR for the university themselves I thought actually Although it's not actually publishing or literature related, I think I actually could have a shot, maybe at an internship or something. And so, yeah, it was the summer of 2016. I thought, you know what, I have nothing else kind of going for me. This is the probably the only chance in my life where I can really change careers and, and it not, you know, affect my life that much. Mm-hmm. So let's just go for it. And so that's when I decided that, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. If it doesn't work out, 
I, I could go back, I could go back and do my master's, you know, maybe even a PhD in geology. But this, now that I'm 21, I just thought, you know what, let me just go for it now and see what happens. If it doesn't work out, cool, but at least I've given it, given it a go. I actually did environmental geoscience at Edinburgh. Oh! Uh, weirdly enough, <laughs> which is very similar. Um, but yeah, I was not a fan of geology. I didn't know it was going, going to be geology. I thought it'd be like mm. geography, but like cooler and it yeah <laughs> and what was weird about what was weird about our course was that we it starts off as a bsc in geology but then halfway through our course they actually changed our course to petroleum oh, which okay. wasn't yeah it wasn't really something no not idea at all it wasn't something i really wanted to go into on a kind of ethics kind of ground as well but when our course changed we had no choice and so yeah that was the kind of that was one of the final nails in the coffin to be honest when it came to this degree because mm-hmm. it wasn't even the degree that I'd signed up for yeah so that was extra annoying <laughs> definitely um yeah tell me a bit about your experiences applying for um internships because I listened to a previous interview that you did on a podcast called always take notes so mm. um I heard that you applied to a lot of internships yeah I applied to a lot and I didn't get a single one and uh, I think I actually applied to basically anyone that I could find so I think um, towards the end I applied to maybe 50 or so and I didn't get a single one I didn't even get an interview uh, I didn't even reach that stage at all and I felt so incredibly deflated and I just didn't really understand you know, um, what was wrong and I just thought you know what I thought I'd been lied to a little bit because sometimes when you do science degrees, you're told that you can do anything with it. You're told that you're told that with a creative degree, you you can only go into creative things. You can't obviously go into you know sciences. Yeah. But with a science degree, you know, the world is your oyster. You can do every, anyone will want you because they'll think you're super smart and you know you're obviously good at maths and blah blah blah. So when no one wanted me, <laughs> I just thought, oh my God, this is so awful. But obviously no one wanted me because my CV was a geologist CV. Yeah. I had I'd really played down my achievements with my blog and um, just with other writing that I was doing at the time. And I, I just finished um, The Draft for Nasty Women as well, which is published by 404 Inc., which is an Edinburgh publisher. And I just thought, you know what, my CV is wrong. <laughs> it's my CV that's holding me back, not actually me. And so after I consulted a few people, I turned my, I just, not that I got rid of my geology achievements, but I just made sure that it properly related to the internships I was applying to. And I wasn't doing that before because no one told me to do that. I had no support really whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but I realised as soon as I did that, um, I got a little bit more of luck, but I, I remember applying for a editorial and publicity internship at Unbound, um, which was the crowdfunding publisher. And I just told myself, you know what, Joelle, this is the last thing you're applying to. If you don't get this, then maybe it's time to maybe, you know, if I, if, if I don't get an interview for this role, then maybe it's time to maybe look at something else, maybe try and fork out some money for a master's, which I couldn't really afford, um, you know, but I just thought that that's the sign that, you know, maybe this isn't for me. And then, yeah, I got a call back, actually, um, from Creative Access, which is where I found the internship. Yeah. And, yeah, I got, a like, a preliminary interview, and I just couldn't believe it. I just thought, you know what, this this could be a sign <laughs> that maybe mm-hmm. this, is my, this is my one shot, basically, because no one else is offering me anything. This is my one shot. And so I really threw everything at that prelim- um, preliminary interview 
And then I actually got an interview um, at Unbound to meet with two of the employees there. And I just made sure that I was super confident, the best person that they could possibly hire. Um, and I kind of had to fake it till I made it. I wasn't that confident just because I knew there were so many, you know, Oxbridge types, you know, white people, male people who kind of sometimes just glide into this industry with, with ease. And so I just assumed that I was... Uh, I was um, you know, they were my opposition, they were my uh, rivals for this role. And so I had to go in with a certain level of confidence that I just didn't actually have at the time. And then, yeah, I I really went in, I made sure that I, I'd rehearsed. I brought, when I knew they'd ask, you know, what books are you reading at the moment? Or do you know any of our books? And I'd actually made sure to have read a few, but also bring yeah. the books and actually show show the books that I'm currently <laughs> reading in my bag like honestly I had and but it was it was genuine it wasn't like I was just faking yeah. it but I was faking my confidence at the time um until I actually now have that confidence but I just had to just throw it all because I knew this was probably my one shot because you know for people like me from the area that I was from and people who look like me it, it's so it's still it's getting better but it's just so hard to just even get to the interview stage because no one's helping us with our um, CVs. Maybe we didn't do the kind of desired degree. So I just thought, you know what, Joelle, if you really want this, you just have to throw everything at it. And that's what I did. And I got it. But it was a, it was really, really stressful um, just applying for internships and, um, and trying to get a paid internship. It was really, really, really difficult. But I'm, I'm mm -hmm. glad that I, I finally got <laughs> the Unbound one, yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about Creative Access for those that might not know what it is? Oh, yeah, sure. So Creative Access is a charity. It is, um, it's meant to link people from Black, Asian, ethnic minority and also white working class backgrounds with creative internships. And all the internships are paid, which is something that is, you know, mind blowing. And most of them are London based, but there are quite a few in the Midlands. Um, I had a friend who did um, one in Leeds, quite a few in Manchester. So it is mainly in the cities, but it is for people who are from marginalised backgrounds. And I found it really randomly on, I can't remember how I found it, it was on YouTube that I accidentally clicked on um, how to get into publishing. And then it was an interview, mm -hmm. um, how to get into publishing, how to get into theatre, because that was my backup, even though I didn't, I love theatre, but I was just, you know, when you're just desperate and you're just looking for whatever, um, I clicked on yeah. that and it was a guy um, saying that he found his internships on Creative Access and I was like, what, what the hell is that? I'd never heard of it. But when I, um, that's when I really started applying for internships when I just found them. Because even applying for internships is so difficult because you just have to type in internships, London, you know, and the date to try and find something. But it's a, it was a really, really, really good experience I found. And I'm still friends with a lot of people who were at different internships to this day because when you do get an internship, I mean, COVID permitting, uh, you go and meet up and you do like a whole day workshop with other people who are about to start their internships and they run monthly um, workshops and seminars and classes with lots of alumni and also lots of you know celebrities mm -hmm. who have an interest in creative access and overall it was a, it was a really really great experience and the networking events have been wonderful and yeah long may it continue to be honest I mean I wish it didn't have to exist because obviously yeah. it's it was set up because black asian um mixed ethnicity people weren't getting into these roles no matter how much they tried no matter how good they were 
you know, and, and even if they did get those roles, it was mainly entry level until suddenly um, they do entry level roles and the prospects of actually getting higher and up the career ladder just didn't happen. And so it was definitely there to fill that gap. And it's a shame that it still has to exist in the world, but I'm glad that it did because I, I wouldn't be here mm-hmm. without it. Yeah, it sounds like a really good scheme. I didn't realise the full, the full scope of, you know, it sounds like mentorship really, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, so you worked at Unbound. That's where you started off in your internship. Unbound is a bit uh, different to traditional publishing houses. It's the the first crowdfunding publisher. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the world's first, the me, world's first. The world's first, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can you tell me a bit about their um, system? Oh, yeah, sure. So Unbound was set up by three writers who wanted to bridge the gap between authors and their readers because in traditional publishing as a lot of people will know there are a lot of this is a lot there's a lot of people (laughs) basically and um they wanted to make it as simple and as democratic as possible and so although unbound you know were at the at the beginning of um their life they were called you know disruptors and you know innovators and they are however this was actually quite an old process that used to happen um way back in the day when if someone wanted to write a book you know they'd have to pitch it and people would become people who wanted to see the book out in the world would actually put their money where their mouth was and actually pay for it in advance and then they collect that money and then that would be the money used to make the book and that's exactly what Unbound does it works kind of like Kickstarter but you don't have 30 days all or nothing um it kind of takes as long as it takes but if someone has a brilliant idea and maybe they've been to a traditional publisher and they didn't really get it or maybe they just want the creative freedom that Unbound gives or um maybe they just like um the books that we publish or they just like us as people yeah they come to us and um we do commission the book we do get a uh I say we I don't work there anymore <laughs> I need to stop saying that they <laughs> <laughs> they um yeah it works the, sp- the same way after the crowdfunding um so at the time an author used to make a video just saying hey this is who I am this is my book this is why I'm qualified to write it um this is why it needs to exist in the world and this is how you can support it and then there are pledge levels and it was just a really cool thing to do you know you can make merch or you could um, sell signed copies of the book and then all of that money gets um, collected up. And then once it hits 100, that's enough money to actually make the book and publish it the traditional way. So it's a really, really great process. And um, I mean, some people love it, some people hate it, but actually being part of it and actually um, spending four years there working with authors from the very beginning to the very end of the book and going through this quite unique way of um, publishing. It worked really, really well for a lot of authors and it really, really connects the readers to it because they feel like they've been involved in the process from the book's inception, which is basically the case. And it was such a fun way of publishing. I know people do find it very... um, I mean, from the outside, it can look a bit sketchy. It can look a little bit... um, a strange way to publish but anything new or anything different is always seen like that I think so as soon as you actually kind of yeah. get in it and you fully get someone to explain it to you and then you see uh, you see this the success of a lot of the books like The Good Immigrant and you know The Wake and you know those kinds of books and a lot of the books you know made real political statements you know like Common People and Repeal the Eighth um that book um did really well especially in Ireland around the Repeal the Eighth um 
the Eighth Amendment um, over there about abortion. And so it was such an interesting place to work. People were amazing. And I'm really, really glad that I got that kind of experience before I got the, tr- the traditional experience because I think it's harder mm-hmm. to go from traditional publishing yeah. back into this into the kind of unbound world. And I'm glad that Unbound, I was kind of given the creative freedom with my commissioning to um, do quite a few IP projects, intellectual property projects, and, um, you know, look at what's selling and then try and uh, go for those kinds of people, whether they have agents or not. And that's another thing as well. Um, Anyone and anyone who had a good idea could submit their idea to us. You didn't have to have an agent. So it it was a far more inclusive way of publishing and getting people who often felt left out of... The, the very kind of weird publishing world to um, find their voice um, with their book. And so it was such a great experience. And I'm glad that I was, I was very ambitious in my commissioning there. And I've been able to bring that over to, um, to Coronet and to traditional publishing. And I just don't feel that I'm, I, might, I might not have been able to do that the other way around because there are just so many rules in traditional publishing. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that I've had that kind of radical experience with Unbound and it's given me that energy to kind of just go for whoever I want and create the best books that I can because I've already done it with a publisher um, that uh, is very very different and very you know quote-unquote experimental so it was it was a wonderful experience a wonderful four years yeah yeah so you did an internship first and then moved on to being commissioning editor yeah um, how did that process work? Do you have any advice for people that are maybe in an internship and wanted to turn into a full time thing? Yeah. Oh my god, that was a that was a challenging time for me actually. So my internship was um, thank God it was paid, and that was a six month internship, and it was coming towards the end of it, and it, I was um, doing half publicity, half editorial at the time, or commissioning at the time. And I thought at the start of the um, at the start of the internship, I thought I was going to be a book publicist. Um, it was only when I realised that actually I really enjoyed commissioning, and I was allowed, even though I was still an intern, I was actually allowed to acquire books um, during that time, which was a great honour. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was a great, great honour, and it it would have been weird for me to hope you know to get the job in publicity after the internship, uh, and then see someone else you know look after the books that I'd acquired like that didn't sit well with me and so I thought you know what now now or never I I probably need to make the switch or make it clear that I'll probably be more of an asset to the commissioning team than I would publicity um yeah that that was a weird time actually because I, I just didn't know where I was going and I didn't know I'd never actually worked in an office before I was still fresh out of uni so I didn't know, really know who to ask about this or you know whether I'll be stepping on anyone's toes or maybe they'll just turn around and say actually we don't want you at all I just didn't know what to do because my my internship was um ending and it still wasn't made clear to me where I was going to go but I I'm, I just thought I have to make myself you know, indispensable. I have to make my. I have to make sure that they don't fire me <laughs> after this internship, because I was. A few friends of mine who'd actually gone through their internships weren't given a job afterwards, and so sometimes yeah. these internships with Black and Asian people, it becomes a revolving door, almost like a tick box mm. kind of thing where you know mm-hmm. they say, "Oh no, we've had lots of you know Black and Asian and mixed interns, yeah, yeah," but then how many of them progress up the ladder? 
and I just um and not many and so I didn't want that to happen to me and so I I had to just be honest and be clear and be bold and say I will be an asset to you in the commissioning team at the time like the commissioning team was very very small um they were all white men (laughs) and um you know white straight men commissioned books mainly by white straight white straight men that's that's how it goes and um as great as they you know my former employees were I could bring something new as someone who was under 25 I mean I was under 20 how old was I I was 21 at the time so I was still super young black (laughs) you know I wasn't from the same backgrounds you know I didn't go to Oxbridge or any of that and I was commissioning books that I really believed in and I thought other people could believe in too. And so that's how I kind of pitched myself to the boss um, because I, I, it was made evident that I probably wasn't going to go into publicity. And I was offered the opportunity to go into the editorial team, which made no sense to me whatsoever because I hadn't been doing that. <laughs> I hadn't been in the production team. I hadn't really been doing the, you know, the hardcore editing of books. I was, I'd been doing commissioning. And so that I actually rejected the interview for that which caused a little bit of a kind of you know what's she doing how dare she you know amongst some of the kind of um more senior employees but I had to make a point that I'm not going to be put in a random place where I haven't worked (laughs) for uh six months and so I had to make it clear that I'm not going to accept I'm not going to accept even the interview for a job in that um editorial production job because I won't be an asset to Unbound and so yeah, I pitched myself and I just made sure that I just did all my work, you know, turned up on time. I was living in Surrey at the time and trains came every hour. So sometimes a little bit late, which was obviously very bad. But I just made sure in the run up to, you know, deciding my future, I just honestly made sure that they had to hire me. Um, mm-hmm. But they had to because I was bringing in these fresh ideas, always speaking up in meetings, always taking the minutes always just being you know nice and just you know be trying to be as social as I can even though sometimes my anxiety I don't really want to be social but I just had to make sure that I was employee material and yeah and I get it paid off and um it was just wonderful to become a junior editor it was um I started on a part-time basis and then went to full-time and I, I just couldn't believe that it, it had worked um I still had suffered from a lot of um suffered from imposter syndrome at the time, I still thought that I'd be found out that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a scientist trying to sneak into cre- um, the creative industry. I just, I still didn't really feel like I fitted in, but I'm just glad that I did it. And when, once I became a mentor with Creative Access, mentoring other interns, um, you know, there are a few tips and tricks um, that sometimes, I hate saying the word BAME, but like Black, Asian and mixed people just don't know when they're going into the corporate world or they're going into, you know, just white spaces, which is basically everywhere, anywhere you work, you are going to be a minority. And there are just little things that, you know, how to deal with microaggressions and how to um, deal with, you know, just other you know, certain things that I do disclose because it's happened to me. And over time, my colleagues knew, not that it happened that much, but when it did, my colleagues knew that it was wrong because I told them straight to their face that it was wrong. But I couldn't do that when I was an intern because I was just so desperate to please. Yeah. So desperate to please. But there, there did come a time, you know, once I finally became an equal, that, you know, some things wouldn't ride with me at all. Um, so I, I would say to interns, it's difficult, um, but you have to believe in yourself and you have to make 
make yourself unfireable, basically. And that doesn't always mean kissing up to the boss. It just means just being there for people, making sure obviously your work is done, your work is on time. They see that you're working really hard. Obviously, when you're in office, they could see you working. So that's obviously a plus. But, you know, even during these COVID times, you know, just keep asking questions, keep offering to maybe offer assistance if um, you see that your boss is a bit overworked or has a lot on their plate, offer to look at something or help. And, you know, it, it does sound kind of basic, but this does count against, this does count when it does come to the kind of hiring or like probation um, period, because they'll look at, you know, the times where you made them feel good, the times that you, you helped them. Mm. And it, it does really, really help you stand out, especially if there's more than one intern and there's only one space and things like that. It, it really, really does help just to make sure that you are the, the you know, the best person and um, don't have to kiss anyone's ass or anything like that. But, you know, always being friendly, always, you know, being active, proactive and taking minutes and notes and um, and things like that. It really, really does help as kind of nerdy as it sounds. You know, this is a job and, you know, you want to stay in this role. You need money. And so yeah, we're not in school anymore where people are going to call you a teacher's pet. That's not going to happen. You know, if you really want it, you know, do the work and be kind and just make yourself unfireable. That's what I'd say. Yeah, what I've always found is I feel like it's about being um, making the boss's job as easy for them as possible. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I think I've always found that that's like the main thing yeah. to do when I'm in a job. Yeah. Because, um, you know, they're going to want someone that makes things easy and they don't need to yeah. deal with the stress. And, and stuff, the team so. player. And a team player. Because even yeah. if you finish your work, um, you can't just sit there, you know, can't just sit there doing nothing you have to be like oh I've actually finished this can I help you with anything can I be of assistance it's that kind of proactivity where they're like oh wow okay great not only have you finished this task you now have time to help me that's amazing and you know that's what I look out for as well and so it's just uh um if you learn that young if you kind of um take those kinds of tips it will definitely definitely help you um to maybe stay on if you do want to stay on um in that company after your internship those kinds of little little things that often get overlooked can really really help you definitely um so you were commissioning editor yes can you just talk me through what what your day-to-day would involve there oh a lot of emails (laughs) (laughs) A lot of emails. Um, are you talking about now or at Unbound? At Unbound. At Unbound, yeah. So, I mean, emails for days. I think no no commissioning editor will tell you that they don't look at their inbox 24-7. But, yeah, so lots of emails. Um, I used to look at um, submissions quite a lot because we had... Um, un- we accepted unsolicited manuscripts. And what that means is manuscripts from people who don't necessarily have an agent... So with traditional publishing, you usually need an agent to represent you and to help you with your proposal. But at Unbound, anyone with a great idea can write a proposal and submit to um, submit. So I used to start off reading lots of submissions, especially ones that came over overnight or at the weekend. And I just go through which ones fit my personal list at the time. So if I'm looking for popular science, or if I'm looking to commission a memoir, or if I'm looking to commission maybe a cookbook or a manifesto, I'm just kind of looking down the list. And for me personally, anything that kind of just kind of made, um, made my heart go, ooh, interesting, I want to read more, then I'd probably inquire a bit further. But we, um, as a team, we read absolutely everything. 
even the most ridiculous proposals um, to the most brilliant <laughs> ones. We read absolutely everything. We make sure that we do that. And um, so it starts off like that. And then I just catch up with my colleagues. We have lots of meetings about um, what's trending in the book world and what's trending in the world in general, especially in pop culture, um, people that we are, we're looking to reach out to. Um, I email lots of agents and they email me back because um, with Unbound as well, you can actually have an agent and they submit um, on your behalf as well. It's not like we just just get um, unsolicited manuscripts. We actually do get submissions for agents as well, just like traditional publishing. And yeah, and just, um, and then if I'm actually in the, the stage of commissioning something, then we're working on assets for the page. Because if you go on unbound.com, you'll see that every book idea that's been commissioned has a, a specific page where you set up pledge levels. And um, we used to do videos, but now we do more, um, now they do kind of more graphics and things like that, which is very cool. So I'm always working, at the time I was always working with freelancers, videographers and uh, graphic designers and illustrators and then I'll be looking at contracts and uh, costings for other books that are coming up in the pipeline and then the books that have actually been that that have hit their target it then goes into the actual um, the actual like you know traditional publishing style of you know getting the cover so in lots of cover meetings and lots of production meetings and that's where we decide what the book will actually look like so the kind of paper um, the bindings, whether it's paperback or hardback, we look at the schedule. Um, I check in with the PR team um, for the books that have reached that stage, the books that are about to be published. We look at um, proofs, which are the kind of um, draft bound copies um, in paperback that get sent out to influencers. Um, so there's there's different processes within the commissioning, you know, the, the pre-acquisition the books that have actually funding on the site, the books that have just funded and the books that are about to be published. So my brain was always split into like four and I was always mm -hmm. kind of dancing around um, different authors and just at different stages of their publishing life. So it was very, very busy. As cliche as it is, no day was the same. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But, but it is true, no day was the same because we're just working with different people, you know, answering lots of queries on the phone, lots of people who we found Unbound. They just still... They looked at the website, maybe still didn't understand the process or maybe they were an agent or maybe they they'd sent a submission that they were chasing. So always answering the phone and just trying to explain the process as much as possible, because at the end of the day, you know, we're publishing people, but not everyone understands the jargon that we use. Not everyone understands the process. So it was really important for us to actually speak um I'd say face to face, but no, phone to phone, <laughs> just to speak um, with people who, you know, don't know our, our world, um, which we sometimes get really sucked into and just, you know, explain as simply as we can how we help, how we can help with their book and their book idea. And yeah. so, yeah, it was, it was a great um, thing to do. I had to do like 20 things at once every single day and find time to have lunch somewhere between that. Um, <laughs> But it was, um, yeah, it was a, it was always, it was always very, very hectic. But the the good kind of hectic. What What's the payment structure like for authors at Unbound? Yeah, that's that's quite a weird one, I guess. I guess at the time, it's not something that we really, really like speak about. Even in traditional publishing, we don't really speak about individual things when it comes to advances. Obviously, the agent and the um, the author knows about advances, but that wasn't really something that we just share to the world. What we do share is whether it 
was in an auction so loads of publishers going after the same book so a book that's really competitive um when the kind of um maybe on the bookseller which is like our big trade magazine um it will say that it was in a nine-way auction or a 20-way auction or something and that's when you know the advance is probably quite high because lots of um publishers were trying to outbid each other and usually if a publisher preempts which is where you kind of put lots of money on the table to stop it from going to auction um that's usually quite a lot of money to take it off the table completely um it's always a really difficult one when it comes to author financials it's just a hard one because it just depends on who the author is whether they have a high profile um it also depends on whether they have an agent or not because the agent takes a cut of everything Mm -hmm. um it depends on the kind of book that they're doing if they're doing you know a big glossy um cookbook or a big glossy uh photography book or an art book or a coffee table book those books are very very expensive and so to offset that um the cost of the book will be expensive um so, so it's a different one to ask but usually um in traditional publishing you get an advance at unbound there was a profit split like a net profit split which um it, it was really good actually it actually helps especially people who didn't really know the publishing world or maybe weren't represented by an agency it gave them a fair shot at being um treated well and paid for their for their work um in a good way and so usually over a hundred percent so when you hit the 100% anything over that is the net profit split between Unbound and the author and that's a 50-50 profit split which is amazing because right. usually in publishing it's, it's, it's nowhere near that it's usually in the kind of 8% or something or you know, 3 to 8% and so when it works it really really works and if you go on Unbound.com you can see that some books are like at 2000% and some are at you know 150 or you know 300% and so that's that's basically you know the aim of the game to really go over that 100 percent because 100 is what you need mm-hmm. to get the book that's all the money you need to actually get the book published over that anything over the line is what you kind of get to keep and sometimes that's probably more than what they would have got in in a traditional advance especially if you're a debut author maybe you're not represented by anyone advances usually aren't as big as what you could have got if you'd gone with Unbound and it did successfully well, crazily well, you would have got, you know, far more than with traditional publishing. And so trying to translate that um, to people, especially to agents who mainly deal with traditional publishing was really, really Mm -hmm. difficult. And especially because with Unbound, it's crowdfunding. You don't know how it's going to go. So, you know, a book might fund in three days, a book might fund in three years and it might be a runaway success and get like, you know reach the target in a really, really short space of time and it now and because we don't really take they didn't really take books off the site um so you could still order your book and it can still count towards the the target and so that's why some books that published maybe a year ago or two um they're now at like you know 400 percent or something like that and um that was actually i i found that quite hard to explain sometimes but the numbers speak for themselves to be honest especially when mm-hmm. especially when the readers feel like they're in control and they get to choose what 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 gets published and what doesn't and they also get extra perks you know they're more, they're far more inclined to um put their support the book and put their interest for it now than waiting a year until it comes out and then maybe going to waterstones to buy it maybe not so yeah with financials it's always a tricky one to talk about because it really does depend on the author it depends on their status and it depends on the actual book it, yeah. itself 
But um, yeah, with Unbound, it usually worked out pretty fairly, especially for debut authors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, and in terms of the traditional model mm-hmm. for, for those that might not know, um, you know, you're speaking about agents yeah. that um, they work alongside authors. How how does that work? How do people normally get agents? Yeah, that's that's a million dollar question. Like that's usually what people used to ask um me when I was at Unbound, especially people who were unagented. How do I get an agent? That's it's a tricky one because it does sound like an easy thing, but it's not an easy thing at all. Agents like commissioning editors are looking for very specific things. Some only look for children's books, some only look for you know, non-fiction, some only look for sci-fi, some only look for, um, you know, you know, something completely different, maybe something, or maybe even just poetry, or maybe just, you know, scripts. So you have to know what you're writing <laughs> for a start. Be confident that you know the target audience, be confident that you know where it will sit in a bookshop. And then um, you can actually get a directory of a lot of, uh, depending on where you are, but usually agents quite London-centric. Um, so you can get a, a UK centric, you can get a list of um, agents and you do have to really do your research, really trawl through and make sure that you're approaching usually one person per agency. Sometimes if you do approach an agency, if you're not right for one agent, they might pass you on to their colleague. But it is good that you kind of um, know the etiquette as well and not just bombard agents you know with you know loads of emails loads of calls asking for representation because that would just really annoy them um but you have to really do your research make a list of um not just the big agencies but you can even look for um freelance agents and independent agents and try and pitch yourself in a way um you could tell them about your book idea or maybe your book ideas and if it's non-fiction it is really really important to say why you're qualified to write this certain book um, that's very different from fiction where, it, you know, it's your imagination. Of course, you're qualified. You can write whatever you want. But let's say you want to do a book about astrophysics. Uh, you need to, mm-hmm. you know, you need to have some kind of knowledge, ideally a degree in astrophysics. But you need to also pitch your, yourself as well um, while you'd be an asset to the agency. And usually you pitch to, yeah, one agent and, you know, you refer to them by name. And, um, yeah, and it's up to them whether they... Um, call you back or email you back and you know it's um and then you go through the process of you know maybe them signing you and that doesn't mean you've got a book deal straight away it just means that they've offered to take you on in the hopes especially if it's a literary agent you have to make sure you're looking for literary agents not talent agents or any other kind of agents um and then you can start the process with them of putting together a proposal um they look through your ideas they look through your actual manuscript or um sample chapters if you've got it and they can help you that way but it's a difficult thing to do getting an agent it's really not it's really not that easy at all um but once you do that it can take the pressure and the load off you to do it all yourself they will also explain to you the um the publishing process because obviously it's it's a world that very very few people really know about and there's a lot of jargon so they're really there to help you with that and it is you know a year long or maybe even way more than that it's it's a proper relationship that you have a proper professional relationship you have with another person they want the best for you hopefully if they're a good agent and they want you to create the best work possible as well 
Um, and obviously they, they take their 10% or however many much percent they take off that. But it's, it's a very, very important relationship. So you have to make sure that you're not just kind of pitching yourself to anyone and everyone. You have to make sure that you fit their, their personal literary tastes first of all Mm -hmm. and then feel free to shop i would say honestly if you're looking for an agent feel free to shop around if you have interest from another agent and you have interest from another agent you can just keep on meeting with them and then you know but you do have to tell them that obviously you are meeting with other other agents and then you choose who's the best fit for you who do you get on with the most because it's a it's a going to be a very long relationship hopefully and so you have to make sure that it works for you and that um, you could genuinely be friends <laughs> with your agent. That's usually the goal. You don't want someone who's like a teacher or someone who's like a lecturer or someone who's like a parent. Um, yes, they're there to guide you. Yes, they're there to encourage you, but they're also there to support you. So it is really, really important that you actually get that right to get the best out of your work and to get the best book deal possible. That's really good advice. Yeah. Um when people are pitching an agent would they normally send like say you're writing a novel Mm -hmm. um you know would they send a few chapters of their novel yeah absolutely um usually agents say what they're looking for so it's always really important when you look at the agency really important to check which agent um is looking for your type of work and then usually they'll have a little bit um they'll have a bit about themselves have a bit about what they're looking for you know their other clients and then they'll also say what they're looking for so some people are very specific some agents want you know times new roman double spaced 12 font they want the first three chapters some want just one chapter some want everything that you've written so far and it really does depend but it is absolutely essential that you stick to what they want please i'm begging Mm. i'm authors i'm begging you please (laughs) please don't think that you're the exception and if an agent wants um three chapters you send them 95 or you send them 10 Mm. or you you even send them four the whole point of the exercise is to prove that you can actually listen to prove that you can condense your work to prove that um to prove that you can actually um, choose the best it doesn't have to be the first three chapters even usually it is but it's to prove that you can condense your work and to choose the best bits that really show off your writing talent and send it it is not clever to try and go above and beyond at this point just stick to what they're asking for please because that is part of the test to show that you can actually follow instructions because you'd be so surprised you know some of my agent friends and even me as an editor you know, some will try and hand deliver their manuscript. Some will try and really go on the charm offensive, send you things, you know, turn up at the office. And that's not what we're looking for. When I say I'm looking for mm-hmm. this X, Y and Z, I, I want X, Y and Z. D- don't try and prove yeah. to me that you're the exception because it's likely that you're not, first of all. And secondly, agents get inundated, inundated with people looking for representation. And so just to make their lives easier and to make it more... um to make it more likely that they'll consider you just stick to what they're looking for please (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's really helpful advice um you're commissioning editor at coronet books right now yes um would you say most of the time it's agents that are pitching the books yeah absolutely um because yeah coronet is part of uh hodder um which in itself is part of the um, Hachette, which I actually realised last week is actually pronounced Ashet because it's a French company. Um, oh. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Awful. My employer, <laughs> don't even know my employer's name. Uh, but yes, <laughs> it is mainly agents um, pitching on their clients' behalf. 
sometimes if I have an IP project or if I I discover, you know, maybe a podcast or maybe um, or a writer who's doing amazing things, I can reach out to them that I, I so I do spend a lot of my time actually approaching a lot of the time they have agents and so I just get in touch with the agent and I ask you know um does this person want to do a book have they got anything in mind but sometimes even if they don't have an agent I still kind of can consider but that is usually me approaching them um it's See. not usually um I don't I can't really consider um people you know, kind of getting my email and then approaching me without an agent. Um, it's it's just not that kind of publishing that I do at the moment um, at Coronet. Usually I, I do take solicited manuscripts. So that is books um, coming from authors who are represented by an agent. Um, sometimes if I do approach you and you don't have an agent, sometimes I will actually try and set you up with an agent who could be a good fit for you. Because overall, it, I think it is better to be represented and to have mm-hmm. um to have someone on your side who knows the process and who can do a lot of the negotiating on your behalf because it can be quite overwhelming if you don't really have that support and that structure um in your life and also having an agent it doesn't mean that your work is better than people who don't have agents but it is someone who isn't your family or friend who can vouch for you that your work is good and so <laughs> i always yeah. do i i always say to writers if you i mean obviously self publishing and you know other kinds of publishing is good but if you are if you're if you are looking to get into traditional publishing you know be published by I don't know the big five or whoever please try your best to um, seek representation it doesn't mean you're a failure if you if you don't if you get rejected most people do um the first couple of tries but usually that is the most traditional way to go if you want to be published by a traditional publisher how much would you say someone having a social media following influences that? Because I've heard that that, you know, people with bigger followings mm-hmm. are more likely to get taken on. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's changed over time. I think with Unbound, um, it was kind of 50-50. Sometimes we had um, books by authors with like no social media presence whatsoever. And the book did insanely well, not just in the crowdfunding, but actually in the trade when it got published. And sometimes we try to do books with, um, you know, influencers, celebrities, YouTubers with over a million followers and the book didn't fund. So it does mm. depend. What's actually really important is engagement. That's really, really important. So even if you have like 150 followers, if they're super, super, super engaged and you, you chat with them, you, kn- you don't have to know them personally or anything like that, but you know the books that they buy and they know you and they're loyal to you you have more of a chance. It is something we look at though, because when it does come to publicity, when it does come to getting the book out there, having some kind of profile, even if it's on LinkedIn, even if it's on, you know, YouTube or, you know, we're we're looking at TikTok right now and Instagram, as long as you have some kind of platform, it it, it can help. It it doesn't mean your book's going to be a wild success. That's a massive, that's a huge misconception, you know, that doesn't really it means you have more of a chance of it being you know well received and a success but it doesn't mean that you're going to be a number one bestseller or even a bestseller at all just because you have over a million followers or 50k followers um but it can help with publicity and it can help um spread the message of your book further if you send a tweet and it's already going out to your thousands of followers and then that can snowball 
Um, so it can be easier in that sense, but it, it does not determine the success of your book or whether you're going to get a book deal at all. But I do think having some kind of platform where you're talking about maybe the contents of your book or you're talking about your writing, that, that can, it's always a bonus. Um, it doesn't mean you need to start your social media straight away if your social media is shy, but it is, it, there does come a time where you do have to think about how social media, how publicity is changing and how best to publicise your book. And gone are the days where social media, you know, social media didn't exist and it was just, you know, traditional publications, you know, going on the radio, things like that. People, if people like the sound of your book, they're probably going to look you up and they're probably going to see, oh, okay, do they have a Twitter? Do they have a um, an Instagram? Do they have maybe a YouTube or a podcast or, or you know, TikTok or whatever? Um, because they, they, they want to know more about you as a person and, you know, what you're like online. And so it's definitely a plus. It's not the be all and end all. And it's not something that, you know, publishers obsess over. But it is something that we definitely look at. Um, but it, it's not it's not necessarily the deciding factor. But having some kind of engaged online presence, um, it definitely does help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. And you yourself, uh, you've been featured in Nasty Women, Mind Matters Part 2 and Inspirational Idol. Um, can you just tell me a bit about your work? Yeah, sure. Gosh. Uh, <laughs> with Nasty Women, that was such a brilliant but weird thing to do. Basically, I was part of this feminist group on Facebook and someone put in there that 404 Inc., um, which is a publisher in Edinburgh. Um, they're looking for submissions for this kind of anthology they're putting together about, you know, what it is to be a woman in um, this day and age. At, th- at that time, it was 2016, I believe. And then the publication was meant to be uh, March 2017. And I saw it and I just thought, you know what, I'm a writer anyway. Um, I was mainly writing for a few magazines back in the day and, you know, bits and bobs writing for my blog. But I had something to say for the first time ever. And I just thought, you know what, why don't I just go for it? Why don't I just try it? And so I found their emails, um, Laura and Heather. And I emailed basically saying that, I mean, I've just become a woman. I'm literally just 21 years old. But I want to talk about what it was like going to university in Scotland, dealing with what I had to deal with when it came to my course, when it came to my blackness, when it came to my womanhood, and the intersections of that, which um, is called misogynoir, which is like a discrimination that black women face being both women and black. I didn't expect to hear anything back, to be honest. I just thought they'd be like, oh, thank you so much. But we've, we've been inundated with lots of proposals. And so this time round, we can't go with you. I, just, I was expecting that. But when um, Heather and Laura got back to me saying, so I sent them like a kind of bullet points of things I wanted to talk about. And they got back to me saying, yeah, if you want to, um, this is interesting, if you want to write your piece, um, yeah, we'd love to consider it. And I just looked at it and I was just stunned because I just thought, why do they want me? Like, I just, I didn't really get it, to be honest. And a part of me just put it in the back of my mind because I just knew nothing would happen. I just didn't believe anything would really come from it at all. And so it was only when the deadline was looming, uh, Heather reached out and she was like, oh, hi, Joelle. I don't think you remember me, but um, we did like your ideas. So, you know, we'd like we still love to see your your essay. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I completely forgot. 
I didn't really think they'd get back to me. And so I, and the deadline was looming. And so I sat down, I turned all my electronics, you know, my phone, everything off. And I was like, I'm going to write my truth. And so I actually ended up writing what you actually read. It's the, it's the last essay in the book. It's called The Dark Girl's Enlightenment. I wrote that in an hour and I poured my wow. heart out. Yeah, I poured my heart <laughs> out onto those pages. And it's honestly, I still think it's one of the best things I've written. It was, I'd, some of the stuff that I said in there, I'd never really even told my family or my friends. Um, a lot of discrimination that I faced, mainly in, in when I was in Aberdeen, um, and just my mental health and my my mental state at the time. I was a I was a mess. I was a pure, pure, pure mess. And it just flew out. It just flowed out of me. It was crazy. Just how all these emotions and all these memories just came back, and. I didn't know what they were going to think. I I didn't expect it to end up in the book, but I sent it. And then, you know, a couple of days or maybe a few weeks later, they got back saying, we'd love to include this. And I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it at all. I was I was so happy. And then a couple of months later, when um, I saw the, the proof in a PDF and mm-hmm. my book was actually the, cl- um, my essay was the closing essay. Um, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that was the best essay or anything, but it's actually the, it's the closing essay. So it's my word was kind of like the final word on like summing, yeah. summing up the whole book. That was I, I still I'm still not over it to this day, to be honest. I'm still not over it because it was such an achievement and something a lot of those stories in there, a lot of the secrets that I told. Um, it was just so I just felt so ashamed of the stuff that had happened to me back in the day. And, you know, my my parents, my family were going to read this, but that didn't even bother me. It was the fact that everyone was going to read my story. No one knows who I am. No one knows who Joelle or Sue is like, <laughs> at the time. And so, but I just thought, you know, these women, Laura and Heather, they gave me this opportunity to write my truth. You know, I don't have a massive following. I'm just a girl from South London who moved to Surrey, who then moved to Aberdeen. You know, there's nothing really special about me, but the fact that I got to tell my story in this book with all these amazing people and then close off the book. I just thought this is this is a brilliant, brilliant thing. And I'm just eternally grateful. And um, yeah, I did lots of um, festivals with that and lots of talks. You know, Nicola Sturgeon picked it as one of her favourite books. And um, it was just a crazy, crazy experience. And I'm glad that I did it. I, I really am. And um, I did have offers for other kind of similar books. But in the book, I did say that, that this is the last time I'm going to write about the things that I write about in the book. Just reliving trauma is really, really um, traumatic. And um, sometimes we don't think about that when we think of activists, especially when it's things like maybe sexual assault or um, racism or Islamophobia or, um, you know, homophobia these activists they're really revealing themselves and they're having to relive sometimes a lot of the trauma that they've been through having to talk about it in these big spaces and at the time I just wasn't mentally ready um for that and so I said no to a lot of opportunities a lot of other books a lot of other articles and things but I'm glad that I did because I'm now at a really good place in my life mentally I'm, I'm far more sound than I was when I even wrote um wrote about my time in Nasty Women. So um, that was great. And I explored poetry a lot. So that's what Mind Matters and Inspirational Idols. That's with Forward Poetry. And I released my own poetry book called Otherness, which is very experimental, very, very weird. But at the time, that was my creative outlet um, to write that book as well. And so 
I'm still writing um, very slowly because I'm just reading other people's writing for a living. <laughs> so I'm very, very slow <laughs> with my articles, with my own books and things like that. Hopefully more in the pipeline. But um, those early experiences when I didn't really know about the publishing world were essential for me because I was fearless. And I still am to this day, but I was even more fearless then because I was like, you know what, let me just write whatever I want to write about. If people like it, they think it's good, cool. If they don't, you know, I have nothing to lose. You know, I have no real, like, standing in the publishing world anyway. So no one's going to look back and say, oh, you're that girl who wrote that. You know, it didn't happen. So um, overall, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And um, you will find, actually, in publishing that a lot of editors... um, even illustrators and people who work in production, even in PR, a lot of them are writers and actually published authors themselves because, you know, we know the process. Um, a lot of them are, you know, avid readers yeah. and things like that. And the talent that's actually coming from people in publishing is crazy. Um, we have another publisher. I'm sure she won't mind a shout out. We have another pub- um editor called Francine Toon her book Pine is amazing. And so <laughs> it just goes to show that... Um, Often in, within publishing, there are really, really talented writers as well. Absolutely. Um, just, just to finish things off, um, what advice would you give to other women who want to pursue a similar career to yourself? I'd say be yourself. Things are changing. Um, gone are the days where you really have to um, maybe be, be more feminine or maybe be less feminine or really have to um, kind of care about that. You know, it is really what you bring to the table as an employee, point blank. Um, and in the creative industry, it's so hard because there are just fewer rules than there are in the science world where they're expecting very, very certain things. Really be yourself, do your research. Don't be afraid to reach out um, to people who are working the job that you want. I did that quite a bit, actually, even especially when I didn't really know what was what I needed to do as commissioning editor um, in the early days. And I was a junior editor. Yeah, I just go on LinkedIn. I'd, I'd look at whoever else was a commissioning editor and say, hi, what, 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 what do you do? <laughs> what do you actually do? Um, um, could you give pointers? And if they don't have time, they don't have time. But a lot of them are very, very generous with their time. And I'd say go for it. Things are changing. It's slow, especially in publishing. But as long as you go in there with research, you go in there with ideas, people love, an ide- people love ideas, people, you know, it's very awkward sitting in a room and people say, any other questions, any, you know, any ideas and it's silence. Try and be that person who has that extra idea in their mind. Try and be that person who asks loads of questions and is proactive and, um, and is confident, you know, even if you don't feel that you deserve to be there for what, even if you probably do try and, um, it sounds weird, but, fake it till you make it try and find something within yourself um even if you pretend to be another person if you have to but having that confidence and uh, it really does help and it will help you in the long run even if you feel quite low in in the early stages it gets easier so if you go in there confident smiley happy um you know bursting with ideas and and confidence that could definitely help but also yeah, just do your research, look at the people, you know, especially on Twitter, um, look at people whose jobs you want to take in the future. <laughs> that's why that's what I'd say. Look at what they're tweeting about, look at what they're reading, look at look at what they're they're doing. Not on a stalker level, please, don't don't stalk anyone. But with creative industries, you have to get creative if you want to survive in whichever creative industry. 
and um, especially as a woman as well, it's every single creative industry is still male dominated to the core. Every single one. Publishing, um, there are more, I guess there are more women, but there are more men in higher positions, basically. Um, and that's no secret. I, it's, it's, a, it's across the board, to be honest. Most of the CEOs, most of the managing directors and, um, and all of that. If you want to get to those levels, I don't know. I'm not there yet. <laughs> we'll see. Check back with me in a few years. But do your research, come with ideas, um, research the roles and ask for help. People, like I said before, people can be very, very generous with their time. Um, and as long as you're polite and you kind of go through the normal processes, some people don't like sliding into DMs, some do, you know, just a polite email asking for, you know, a coffee or a quick Zoom chat or maybe just an email correspondence, whatever, um, that can help you and it can help you get ahead. Um, yeah, that's what I'd say. But don't rule yourself out. Please don't rule yourself out, you know, in publishing. There's, there is this phrase, and I think it's not just for publishing, but there's always you know, some man who's less qualified going for this position. So go for it. Just go for it. Even if you don't think you're qualified. You know, I wasn't qualified. I had a science degree. You know, I'm living proof that I can change my life, turn my life around and go into the career that I really want to go into, even though I trained in something completely, completely different. So don't ever, ever, ever rule yourself out. Just please go for it. You know, there's always a man somewhere you know, usually an Oxbridge straight white man going for something. So if he can, so can you. That was commissioning editor Joelle Owusu. You can find her on Twitter at Joelle underscore O and on Instagram at Joelle Owusu. I'll be back with another episode in two weeks. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your podcast app of choice and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can give a small donation on coffee at ko-fi.com slash she's creative pod. You can find the podcast on social media at she's creative pod and I'm on social media at underscore Claire Hutch. See you next time.